Good morning, good morning. How's everybody? Oh, I'm super excited that you're here. This is going to be an especially good service because of this fine gentleman right here. He's been interpreting with me for a while now. He's got the longest arms of any of our interpreters, and so it's going to be a lot of exclamation points right over here happening. Yep, our whole deaf community is in, in for a treat. Uh, my name is Danny, and I'm excited to be here with you guys. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Kessed Church, and we're in a series right now. We're in the second week of a new little series we're calling Crimson. And the series is really a continuation in the study uh, of Acts. And our church, for almost, almost coming up on five years now, has been doing this sort of biographical study of the Bible where we, where we start with people, and then we kind of follow them in depth into their books. And then every once in a while, we'll slip into some topical you know, when we got the building, we did a lot of topical stuff, or whenever there's a lot of vision or kind of leadership to be had, we'll do some of that. But uh, for the most part, we're continuing through uh, a series that, that uh, when we started this study, I actually said we were going to teach the entire Bible in a year. Uh, and that was, I believe, five and a half years ago. And so, uh, not some of my best leadership. Uh, but but uh, what's been great is we have just learned so much, and today's kind of another, just another example of why this has uh, been so fruitful and taken so long, and it's because when you slow down and really just let certain scripture, really let all scripture, but let scripture flow and speak for itself, it's really, really hard to pass up. It's really hard to, to skip around. And so uh, this week in our study, we are uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 9, and we came to two verses that I was for sure when I was lining out my outline for this series, I was going to skip. Uh, I was just going to include them later on. I was going to mention them, but I really wasn't going to spend a whole weekend because they're two verses based on two, two excuse me, kind of uh, powerful but not very colorful miracles that Peter did. And moving into the series, I was like, okay, I'll mention those later and I'll do this and let's get into some really good stuff in chapter 10 and chapter 11. And then I just kept coming back to these verses. I kept coming back to, God, what do you want to teach us in this? What do you want to show us in this? And I told Alyssa, who assists me, I said, I, I, I want to skip this so bad. I do not want to spend the whole weekend on this. And she's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's her, wait till the Holy Spirit tells you what you're going to figure out so you can tell us what we're supposed to do next. And sure enough, we did. And uh, 9 o'clock was just awesome. It was just an awesome service to wrestle with. We had some great Q&A afterwards with some folks in our Hello Kessid room and uh, just God was glorified, which is the point, right? So what I want to do is I want to pray for all of you and for me that we just kind of let 11 o'clock be its own thing. Let, let this service kind of stand for itself and let it engage you uh, exactly where you're at, just as you are, and let it impact you. Because I believe that even if you're on your journey of faith, you don't even know what you're doing here or what I'm about to say is, is even important or valid. That's okay. Our God can deal with all that. He can handle all that stuff. And so I just want to pray that God will just accomplish his will today in your life and mine. So let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we are honored, Lord, to be here today in this community. We are honored to talk with you, to talk about you, to learn with you, and to learn from you. I thank you, Lord, that sometimes we come up against verses like this, things like this, that cause us to, to kind of question, how do we hook up with some of these things? How do we, how do we connect with this? How does this... Uh, apply to our lives. And I think today, God, uh, these two stories really, really just expanded my view of you and the way that you want to use me 
these people in all of our individual lives to bring more and more glory to you. And so I ask just for that, Lord, that all agendas would be set down, that folks in this room would begin to see Scripture as something that is alive, that is, it is something that is consuming, it is something that we respect and that we run full into while recognizing its incredible power and force when we set back and are still and listen. Thank you for this room. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So before I read these miracle verses, I want to make sure we're kind of sort of on the same page. And so I want you to think in your mind right now, when I say to you, uh, bring forward from your, 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 your mind's deepest recesses the greatest miracle that has ever happened to you, uh, what is that in your head? And before you begin to think about it, I want to eliminate all of the cliche miracles like, I found the love of my life and I had my first beautiful child. I want to eliminate all those. I know, I just kicked out from like 70% of you. You're like, what? Those are my, my go to miracles. That's why I'm getting rid of them because I'm not wanting you to think about go to miracles. I want you to really think about something in your life that you stood back and, as a friend of mine says, whenever something happens to him, that was really weird. That was really weird. For me, uh, if I was to remove my wife and my children, not that those aren't miracles, but if I was to really step back and say, okay, what's the greatest miracle, the greatest thing? that has happened to me that I knew uh, that, that was really weird. I would have to go back to the uh, early summer I started dating my wife and her son Gabriel. So this is a picture. This is our only picture, actually, of us while we were dating. And uh, this is right when we started dating. And right before something happened in my life that uh, I would equate to probably being the greatest miracle of my, uh, of my life. Uh, I was spending a lot of time with this lady and her little boy. And, uh, and it was awesome, but I was working a full-time job, and then I was also spending every, it seemed like, waking hour of the day and late into the evening with her, and I wasn't getting a lot of sleep at this time. Uh, now, that doesn't happen if you date average women. I just want to share that to all the guys in the room. But when you date above average women, you have to maintain that relationship at such a high level uh, in order to not get excused from the relationship. And I knew Aaron was way out of my, my league, and so I put full force attention upon her and her son to make sure that I accomplish the goal of marrying her forever, okay? So it's important you know that. So I spent, felt, felt like 20 hours a day working and then spending time with this woman and her child, and I began to slowly wear myself out. One evening, uh, on a rainy kind of summer day like this, uh, I was driving home and uh, when I got to the freeway that was heading north, this is one of the more rural freeways up north, uh, I began to fall asleep. And I remember I began to feel myself fall asleep at the wheel. And so I did the only intelligent thing that I could do. I cracked my windows, and I turned up the radio, and I drove faster. Because that way I could, like, right, the energy of being going 75 in a rainstorm with the windows cracked and the music blaring at 11.15 at night, I figured would keep me awake. Now, I was driving a little two-seater 300ZX, super sexy car for a kid my age with platinum blonde hair. Very cool, right? I was super cool. <laughs> Probably the coolest kid in all of North County. And I drove this car, I drove this car uh, very fast with my windows down and my music blaring to keep awake so I could get the other eight miles or so home. And all I remember is that all of a sudden I heard this, this slapping sound and the car was kind of shaking, and I opened my eyes, and I had somehow driven into the side of the road into the trees that were overhanging the side of the road, and so it was nothing but wet branches slapping on my windshield. 
That's all I woke up to. It was like being in an evergreen car wash, okay? It was just, it was just, it was brutal. And so I have been in a few high-speed incidences in my day. And so I immediately did a very skillful 180, turned the car completely around, doing, they say in the police report, around 65 at this point. <laughs> turned the car completely around, and I'm now going backwards in my little two-seater with now the, the evergreen uh, car wash on my back window. And I remember looking into the rear view and thinking to myself, I'm going to die but I have so much life to live and I really want to be with Aaron and Gabe and I really want to see who I'm supposed to be. And I remember grabbing my steering wheel. This is, this is all so slow motion to me. It's kind of surreal to think back all those days. And I remember hunkering down in my seat and just saying as loud as I could, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. I said it three times as loud as I could and all of a sudden everything went quiet. And I was like, yes, it's a miracle car stopped. I'll be fine. I'll get out. I can't even believe this. And then as I'm just running through these thoughts, all of a sudden I noticed outside my windows this sound. And I realized I was in the air. So I had flown backwards off a 60 or 65 foot cliff, they said, and I was in the air. And at this point, I thought once again, I'm about to die. And so I crashed down into my seat, and I said, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. And what happened next is probably the clearest, one of the clearest thoughts I've ever had. And I talked to a few people after last service who said they've been in similar accidents, that everything just slows down. I mean, you, you have time to think. It's really kind of scary if you hadn't made all the choices you wished you would have made in life, because when it comes to the end, especially a tragic end like this may have been, uh, there's time to ponder, at least there was for me. Uh, I remember that I was hunkered down holding onto my steering wheel and the next thing you know there was a large bang and I opened my eyes and I had flipped over looking at the car afterwards. My little two-seater had broken half. The foam went everywhere and I had rolled to the back of this car and I was looking out the slanted glass window of my hatchback as my car had hit the ground, rolled me into the back and then was careening down this hill uh, in the rain. So I saw these trees passing, and I saw things happening. And so I reached around, and I grabbed my headrest, and I spun around into the fetal position, and I yelled three words, three sentences, three statements, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. This is a true story. I don't, I don't, I, it's amazing to me that I'm still standing here telling it. At this point, uh, my car came up against a strong tree. And when my car came against a strong tree, it only hit about one side, I think it was my left taillight, and I went out the back window with my headrest. And it was one of those, like, you know when you jump off a bridge into a lake and you have time to kind of kick your legs? When I went out the back window, I threw the headrest, and I remember that I was looking down as my car left, and I was just sort of in the air like, this is happening! And for even a tiny second, I need to be honest, at 19, this is the stuff you think, I was like, I'm so awesome, just for a second, right? Like, I was like, what? Because you're so full of energy, you don't feel anything. You're just experiencing this, this roller coaster of a ride. And I thought I was pretty awesome until I smacked a large tree, okay? Fell to the ground, and at this point, my air's gone. I'm not able to breathe so well. And then as I looked up, I noticed that the car had hit this tree that wasn't quite as big as I thought it was, that it actually broke it. And now my car was sliding down the hill to me. 
And I was sitting there with the car about as far away as the back of the room is. And I'm sitting there looking up the hill. And I remember looking at the rear taillights of my busted car slowly slide. And it was slow, too. Like, it would have been a slow, ugly death. It would just would have been like, it wasn't fast. It wouldn't have been pretty. It was so slow. But I couldn't move. I could barely breathe. And I remember sitting there saying, stay alive. Stay alive. Stay alive. And I watched this car come all the way down true story, there was a tiny little evergreen sapling about four feet in front of me, a little tiny thing about the size, big around as my finger. And my car was going slow, slow to hit that, and the branch just lowered down into my face, and the car stopped. <laughs> I passed out at this point. I don't know for how long, but I remember when I woke up, I was super excited that my prayers of stay alive, stay alive, stay alive had worked. I stood up, I looked around, I was perfect as I could be. And I was like, okay. I had no shoes. The, the impact of the, one, of the, one of the hits had taken my shoes off. Uh, and I remember that I had a, a light-colored clothes on, and they weren't that dirty. My back was dirty, but the front of me was pretty good because I was in the car up until the last hit. And so I realized, I think I can get away with this. Uh, <laughs> because I was, paying more, I was paying more for car insurance at this point than I was for rent. Uh, due to some other driving incidences. And, and, you can, and it's true because my wife paid my insurance for a little while, like, like a year or two, uh, while we were dating. Uh, I would just, it was just so expensive. And I remember looking around thinking, I don't hear any sirens. I'm pretty sure that, that other than the car that I had paid off, I'm going to be okay. And so I kind of got myself up. I pulled all the leaves off, and I climbed out of this ravine that took quite a bit, actually, about 15 minutes. And once I got to the top, I looked around. I was good. And I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm alive. Pretty foggy, rainy day. I started walking to town. The first car that passed me was a state patrolman. The first car. And at first, not a big deal. I'm walking down the side of the road. He passes me. He spins around. And he puts his, uh, his spotlight on me, and I was like, okay, okay, just play it cool, play it cool. And he gets out, and he's really calm, but he's kind of half smiling. He goes, hey, how are you? And I said, I'm doing awesome. How are you? And he goes, I'm doing pretty good. Where are you going? I said, oh, I'm just walking to town, get some gum. <laughs> and he's like, going to get some gum, huh? It's like, it's like 1139. It's pouring down rain. Where's your shoes? I said, I'm not really into shoes. It's not my thing. It's not really my thing. And he said, shoes aren't your thing? And I go, no, not really, uh-uh. He goes, what, what happened to uh, the side of your head? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, sir, you're like bleeding profusely from the side of your head. And I had a four-inch cut on the side of my head that I did not notice till his spotlight highlighted it. And I said, and I, said I remember this, I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I was like, I cannot get another ticket. I was like, I have no idea. I better go and get this looked at. And he's like, sir, 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 sir. I just need to ask you. I need you to think really carefully. And he got pretty serious. And he goes, is anyone else in the car? And I said, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, and he looks at me. And I'll never forget this my whole life. It's, I don't, if there's any 19-year-olds that drive too fast, just stop. Because you just look like this to everybody. He takes me by the shoulders and he turns me around on this rainy, foggy night. And I had forgotten to turn off my headlights. And so they were shining like a bat signal in the sky. And I was like, oh. And he's like, I need to know if anybody else is down there. And I was like, I don't know, but you should go check. That looks 
scary, right? And he's like, I know it was you, sir. And I was like, yes, it was me, fine. It was only me, you know, and I'm dating this beautiful girl and I have to stay with her and I just lost my mind. And he sat me down in the hood of his car and at that point, shock must have went off or went out because uh, I passed out on the hood of his car. And I woke up in the emergency room. <laughs> I woke up in the emergency room to a huge neck, neck, uh, neck brace. And I woke up to this officer laughingly telling all these nurses my story. <laughs> and he's like, and then I said, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, I'm going to town to get some gum. And they're like, ha, ha, ha. No, he didn't. No, I swear to God, he did. I swear to God. And then I said, where's your shoes? And you know what he said? And they were quiet. And I'm like, and he's like, I said, I'm not into shoes. That's not my thing. <laughs> and they're just roaring, laughing. And I'm in this stupid neck brace. Like, I wish I would have died now. <laughs> so I made some sort of comment, and they checked me out. And then he came over, and he says to me, son, he goes, I want you to know there's no way you should have lived through this. There's no way. He said the tow truck driver said that he used every ounce of his cable. You were 300 feet from the road. And I, I said, thank you so much. And I really tried to lean into his sympathy. And then he said, and that's why I'm going to write you a $475 <laughs> ticket to remind you to drive safer from now on. And then he stuffed it in my neck brace <laughs> and left saying, like, I'm not into shoes. <laughs> True story. What a jerk. All my police officer friends in the room right now are like, you deserve all that. You're right. You're right. I do. When you think of miracles, though, when you think of miracles, usually if you, if you take out the things you're supposed to, the, the children and the, the family and some of the stuff, your health, some of those kind of things that are very important and, and that I think we take for granted when we, of course, lose them. But you just start to think about really just miracles in context of living your life. Oftentimes, they're things like that. They're things where... People have been in far less accidents and lost their lives, far less. And I have no reason that I was to live. I, I didn't understand it fully then, and even to this day a little bit, it's, it's something that as I think back on, uh, you know, I mean, other than some broken ribs and the laceration on my head, I like, went to work like a week later. It's amazing to step back and say, okay, God, how does that, how do I use that? How do I, what does that mean for me? And I know, I know that in a room this size, there are dozens of people with stories like that, dozens of people that have experienced uh, miracles and things in their life that have uh, really impacted them. And so today, I wanted to make sure and kind of set the tone for what I mean when I talk about us experiencing a miracle. And then I want us to look at what the Bible calls a miracle and really try and understand how what the Bible calls a miracle applies to the way I live right now and who I am called to be. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read through uh, two stories, and we're just going to kind of push through this because I want to go back then and break them down. This is all within the ministry of Peter. Peter and Saul, who has uh, now become Paul and is about to go out into his portion of the church, are out ministering to people. And so for the next few chapters, we're going to hear about the start of that ministry. And these two verses are within Peter's uh, ministry almost immediately after he leaves Jerusalem. Verse 32. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they returned 
to the Lord. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disabled uh, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Verse 37. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda near Joppa, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And then verse 42 ends basically the same way in the earlier uh, verse with the story of Aeneas. Verse 42 says, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. So there's a couple different things that are interesting about this story that first we just kind of have to highlight in order for us to unpack it a little bit further. The first thing we can see is that Peter in the midst of his ministry is doing kind of everything he can not to draw attention to himself. He doesn't make a big spectacle. He simply sees the paralyzed man and tells him to get up and make his bed. In essence, go about his daily life still bringing glory to God but without the ailment. Then it uses the phrase, turn to the Lord. And this idea of turn to the Lord is more than just, oh, I believe in Jesus now. It means that they became followers of Jesus, meaning they not just believed, but they became baptized and they received the Holy Spirit. So the miracle that Peter, uh, that the Holy Spirit used Peter for that brought forth that paralyzed man's healing brought people to God and the knowledge of God. He then moves immediately within his itinerant ministry to Joppa, which is the, the, the port of Jonah, right? And he's inside this city because people called him because of a woman who had passed away. Okay, this woman's name is Tabitha or Dorcas. And they say that they prepared her for Peter, which is kind of a lot of pressure. Uh, I, I, I don't know if we realize this biblically, but no one at this point has been raised from the dead except for Jesus. This isn't like something that just happens every Sunday morning. And so these people go and they, they leave her in an upper room, which at this time, in this heat, and this culture is a significant no-no. You, you take that body, you cover it in resin, you place it in a tomb, you get through the burial practice quite quickly, and then you get Peter to come and do a service of, mem- of uh, remembrance for her. But you don't place the dead body fully dressed in an upper room during these ancient times and wait for Peter to come and walk in and see it. But there's something about what the Holy Spirit's doing here that prompts them to prepare this body to be raised from the dead. It's just, it's something within them. They don't know why they're just doing it. It says that Peter walks in and he walks into the scene. And I believe that when he walks into the scene, he immediately has to uh, begin to think about the other stories in the Bible of when people were raised from the dead. Uh, The most obvious one is in Elijah's case, when the woman that he's staying with, son, dies. And she goes to Elijah and she says, I don't understand why my son's dead. Why would you, who's a healer, who's a prophet, who's leading all these people within our nation, why would you not keep my son from being sick and dying? And Elijah, feeling this sense that God wants to do something here, takes the boy and he takes him upstairs. Let's listen to his prayer. Uh, I think it's in verse 
19. And he said to her, of chapter 17 of 1 Kings, and he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. Very similar to what he's dealing with with Dorcas. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let the child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him into his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Another similar story is uh, the story of when Jesus uh, brings uh, a man back from the dead, also again, the, the uh, son of a widow, and they're walking through town, and he sees the man within the coffin, and he feels for the woman's heart, and he reaches out, he stops the people who are burying the man, and he says, rise, and the man rises, and then he goes with his mother. Now, here's Peter sitting in this place, feeling full pressure that all of this is being brought together on him. Now, why do I come at it that way? Because I want you to realize something very clearly, as best I can say this, and <laughs> my wife said these shrink the church messages, we might need to be careful with them as we get ready to go in the building. But I pointed out to her, I said, but the building's going to bring all kinds of new people and new problems. So let's just clear as many out as we can now in preparation <laughs> for what's happening. <laughs> so I, I want you to see something, maybe, maybe this is from a pastor's perspective, and maybe this is just something from somebody that sits in a lot of spiritual discussions. But I have been approached by a very heartfelt, uh, very authentic mother to raise her newly deceased small son from the dead. I have been asked this a few times. And so when I hear a story about Peter being brought to a room to raise someone from the dead, being set up the same way that Jesus already did it and Elijah already did it and all these other things, my first thing goes to what was going through his mind because I know what was going through mine and it was if I can't do this, does that mean I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? Does that mean I'm not God's disciple? Does that mean I'm not even a pastor? This, this is a true yearning for, this is not some sort of hyper charismatic, this woman asked me to go to the morgue and bring her child back. And I had to prayerfully, and I didn't just do it over email, or I prayerfully, with lots of discussion between the men and women in my life that I respect, my wife and my God, declined. Because I didn't feel that that was my job. And I didn't feel that that was... Uh, what God has called me to do. And she left the church and is no longer in our community because I couldn't bring her son back. Now I say this because it's very important to understand something. All of us have a context that we look at miracles from. And all of us have a way in which miracles have impacted our lives. And there might be some people in the room who disagree with what I'm about to teach next. And I'm okay with that. Not because I'm more right than you, although I think I am, because based on, my beliefs are based on what I'm reading, but because I can be in a community of people who believe different things as long as the basics, the, the things that God is teaching us and showing us are unmoving. Now, I know people in this church are more charismatic than me, and it has been a, a push and a pull to kind of figure out what it is that God is doing here and how he within his spirit is revealing himself. But I want to tell you, with this passage, part of the reason I wanted to avoid it is because as someone who wrestled with sickness a lot as a child, as someone who lived through some really bad mistakes, and as someone who's around a lot of death, much more death than you would ever 
imagine, um, passes through uh, my, my life. Because I, I get to help people with that. It's a part of my purpose. But if I could pray and heal every single one of you or keep you from dying, I promise I would. I promise I would. But it's not my job. And I'm carefully and respectfully going to lay before you today that I don't know if it's really any of your job. I think that we see seasons of miracles in the Bible where God does miraculous things for incredible purposes. I think we will see, and I'm going to teach this in a moment, towards the end times, more and more and more miracles that bring glory to God and also tell us as Christians who know how to evaluate those miracles that, that his time is coming. But right now, today, I'm going to be very clear with you. I cannot and I will not pray to raise your loved ones from the dead. And I don't know how to heal you of all your sicknesses. My wife's like, this is so not a good time for this. Like, let's get them into the building. And by then they'll be like, but I like the place, so I'll stay. And I'm like, eh. I, it's in the scripture, and I'm going to show you. This, this isn't me up here um, with an agenda. I really feel like this is an important thing because I feel like in many ways the church and some of its leaders have hurt people by teaching them things like, if you're sick, it's probably because of sin in your life. No, that's just not true. That's just not true. If you are hurting and you've never experienced healing, it's probably because you don't have enough faith. It's not true. Just so you know, the day that, 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 uh, that Dorcas was healed by Peter, the day that Jesus healed that man passing through town, hundreds of other people died. Hundreds. Many people died all around Jesus that he didn't heal. We never talk about that. We never talk about the reality that there were lines of people in stories, and maybe we'll get into this sometime, where Jesus was like, it's time for me to go. And he left paraplegics. He left people with sickness. He left people who waited days, maybe traveled weeks to get to the town where he was, where all of a sudden he's like, my time here is done. And he gets in a boat and goes across the lake. There is more to how God heals than just how well you perform or whether or not you show up. And that's hard for people. But it's important for our community because I think as more and more people come in, we need to be a place where people can hurt together, hope for miracles, pray for miracles, believe that God can do miracles, and also have faith that sometimes he doesn't. God always answers. We did this a few weeks ago. God always answers your prayers, but sometimes his answers are no. Sometimes his answers are not yet. People think that God answers prayers by delivering what we want to happen. That is not what we see in the Bible. We're going to see that one of the disciples here in the next few weeks gets, gets uh, killed. He gets, I think it's beheaded. This is one of Jesus' disciples. Why did he just not pray himself out of that? I'm pretty sure he was holier than most of the folks in this room. He spent three years with Jesus. And next thing you know, I believe he gets beheaded. His, his head is laying across a wooden block where, with a, where a man of terror is about to cut it off. You don't think he was praying, God, let's just turn that sword into a feather. Let's just have me disappear. God, let's just... And he's gone. Why do you get something they don't get? I say that because as our church begins to shoulder more and more of our community and our love for them, I think we need to be sober and realistic about the way scripture and spirit is moving and executing itself. And I'm going to show you in, in a moment how I think that God has given all of us 
an even greater miracle than even the greatest miracle that's ever happened to your, in your life. And that's how we'll close the service. But first, let's unpack this a little bit. So how does all this apply to our lives? There's two primary themes that I think that this particular scripture is setting us up for. Two primary themes. The church is founding, right? There's all kinds of persecution, but all kinds of beautiful things happening. And two primary leaders of the church, Saul, who's becoming Paul, and Peter, the rock on, of which God will build. And they're moving out into the community. And as Peter comes to his first one of his first situations, he heals the paraplegic man, and then he goes to the next town, and sure enough, he brings back Dorcas from the dead. So here's my question. The first one that is very important for this is the lesson that we as Christ followers should live expecting miracles like this or another season of miracles. Now, you might think, wait a minute, I just went against everything you just said. No, I believe in miracles, but I believe God uses miracles to bring these things that I'm going to teach you uh, to fruition, and I believe we need to be, as Christians, people who are willing to filter what we see so that we can understand what's biblical and what's not. The Bible says that sometime in the future, dramatic displays of supernatural activity and miraculous events will signal the beginning of the end described in Revelation. So as the church is starting, it's kind of bookmarked by all these miraculous things that we read about in the Bible. And as the church is ending or transitioning into a new heavenly state, it will be bookmarked once again by these kinds of miraculous things that we see in the Bible. This is perhaps why we don't just have people walking around town healing everybody, bringing people back from the dead all the time. The Bible says as Christ followers, we should be looking for and evaluating all miracles we see. But how do we know what an authentic miracle is and what the work of the devil or even just worldly cleverness is? Well, we have scriptures like this. With the scripture we just read, we can clearly see at least four distinct indications of authentic miracle, miraculous works of the Lord. Let's look at each one real quick. First, in all miracles given by God, the Lord alone is glorified. Never a man, never a woman. It's always God who gets the glory. I'm just going to say it right away because this will filter everybody for the rest of the talk if you're into these kind of things. But people don't build ministries off of miracles. Jesus didn't even build a ministry off of miracles. So if you have seen someone that you give money to or someone you, you look at or someone you believe in and the reason you love what they do is because of the miracles they present to you, then it may not be a miracle at all. If the supernatural activity exalts a person in any way, according to scripture, you can rest assured that it's not of God. My advice, very clearly, as a pastor of today's service, for as long as you're willing to go to this church, is to get out and get away. Any activity that doesn't glorify God, regardless of how impressive, does God's people no good. Stop giving your money and your time and your prayer for miracles. Because that is not the kind of ministry that God has called us to. Second, second way we evaluate miracles, there is no showmanship. There's not a lot of coat flinging in the Bible. There's not a lot of large crowds passing out with the sweep of my incredible, powerful hand and anointing in the Bible. There's no showmanship. In the Bible, miracles rarely, rarely even have a large audience. And the display of divine power is quiet, serene, dignified, and personal. Do you know what? I think if miracles like the ones we're reading about are happening right now, it's happening through people who have the ability to keep it quiet. I believe in miracles. 
I just don't believe there's a lot of people that can raise people from the dead or cause legs to grow back who don't want to Facebook that. I'd be like, she's alive. Snapchat, look at this thing. It's crazy. Right? Our whole church would explode because I'd be Snapchatting dead people back from the dead and legs growing whole. That's probably why our church will never be based on miracles. None of the Old Testament prophets and none of the apostles, not even Jesus himself, ever used miracles to impress, entertain, dazzle, or draw a crowd. Third, always when miracles happen, unbelievers are convinced to believe. Throughout the scriptures, God's miraculous activity gave people the opportunity to believe. Many responded in faith. Others couldn't deny divine activity, yet they willfully rejected him. Regardless, miracles reveal God's goodness and power so that those far away will approach him. God's miracles bring people to him. Fourth and last biblical truth when a miracle occurs is always, always validated. When God's works, when God works a miracle, you don't have to hide your Bible behind your back or defend it against critics. Miracles create the opportunity to proclaim the truths of God boldly. And in the end, and I'll put this on the screen, here's what miracles do in the Bible and what they should do now. Miracles remove doubt and then create a crisis or crises of the will. Because when you can no longer explain what you're seeing, and it's done by a person who gives full credit and glory to God, then you as a person far away from God have to deal with what you're seeing. Now, it doesn't mean you won't choose, like so many in the Bible, to say, ah, and still go your own way. But the power of a miracle is supposed to bring glory to God. The power of a miracle is supposed to alone glorify him. It's not done through showmanship. Unbelievers, many, not all, but are convinced to believe, and you can back up every single part of the miracle in the Bible. Therefore, if someone witnesses a genuine miracle and then rejects Christ, the problem is not in the head, but in the heart. They have turned themselves away from what God is doing here. That's why both of these verses close with people are turned back towards the Lord. People are turned back towards who he is. Look at uh, the verse in Acts uh, 9.35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Look at Luke 9, uh, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. When Peter quietly healed, people had to deal with the reality that there is a God who is starting something bigger than them, and then they turned to that bigger than them God and said, take my bigger than me problems. That's the end game for miracles. This bigger than me God made himself known through this bigger-than-reality situation of which then I brought my bigger-than-me problems. It's never, Danny's awesome. Kessid's incredible. This church, I've never been to a church filled with the Holy Spirit like this. Listen, I, don't tell people that about our church. And when you tell me things about that, trying to get our church to be more charismatic, it makes me want to be less like the church that seems to have bottled and canned the Holy Spirit, the only one in town. Because the Holy Spirit only uses a few really cool churches. No, that is such bad, bad theology. It's such bad Bible. God has called some people to lead really small churches, some people to read, lead really big churches, some churches to, to sit in coffee shops, some churches to sit in arenas. It is not our job to determine which church is more holy and evaluate based on the, the, <laughs> the worldly success of the church just how blessed they are miracle after miracle after miracle. 
I mean, how does someone fall from grace, literally destroy their marriage and their church, and yet perform miracles every single week up until the day they're exposed? How is that possible? Do you think God just forgot? Oh, I left my power on him just a little too long. Why isn't anybody watching this? Like, how does God, you don't think God knows people's hearts and their motives and agendas? And yet we get caught up in it because we feel powerful when we're part of other people's power. Because we need something bigger than our problems. And it can't be God because, well, he comes with all kinds of guidelines and ways of living and ways of being. No, I'm just going to buy into that guy's calling and we're going to be the only church in town that's figured it out. We are not the only church. Matter of fact, we might be the only church in town that hasn't figured it out. People have asked me over and over. I get invited to these really fun leadership things lately because no one can figure out how a guy like me is a part of a church like this in the darkest part of the region. And so they call me in to try to get a little bit of my like Jack and the Beanstalk bean knowledge. And they're like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I'm going to tell you guys. This is like my thing now. I'm like, I'm going to tell you guys. And I'm sitting with guys of legit churches. You're talking 15,000 plus TV ministry churches, and they're like, man, the Northwest is such a hard nut to crack. How'd you do it? What's going on? I heard you got a building. I mean, within three years, you guys are going to be like, you're going to be, they start telling me what I'm going to be in three years. You're going to be this, and you're going to be that, and I'm like, really? Really? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're doing something good now. You need our help to do the next step, but how'd you get to where you are? And I'm like, well, here's what I did. I told our church about five years ago, we're going to stop looking for a building and not get one until God gives it to us, and they're like, Oh, and then it kind of reversed psychology people. They started hunting for, and I was like, no, no, I just meant it because there was no buildings around. Well, but you have a building. It's like, it's worth, our building downtown, by the way, we'll, we'll share, it's worth millions of dollars. It's not worth like one. It's worth like a couple. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And we own it outright. And they said, well, tell us the leadership strategy. Were you fasting? Were you praying? Were you prostrate on the ground before the Lord? Like, like tell us what you did, Pastor Danny. And I'm like, first off, my name is Danny. And second, um, I held a baptism service. And afterwards, a guy said, hey, we really like your church. Do you want this building? And they're like, yeah. And did, did you like go on this? And I said, yes. <laughs> and they're like, that is not, like, we flew you here for this. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Here's the thing. I have no idea how we got where we are, and I have no idea where we're going. I don't think Peter woke up and was like, you know it would be really helpful? To raise someone from the dead. <laughs> like, some people, they're so strategic with their miracles. I question all this stuff, and I evaluate it based on what the Bible says, and then I tell these guys that I get to coach when it comes to church planting, don't jump too soon. Do you know how many buildings we passed on that we could have paid for? Like six buildings that we never even brought to the church because I knew it would tweak my preaching because I'd have a payment I couldn't afford, which meant every time I'd be talking, I'd be like, we need to trust in miracles. Like that we pay our mortgage this month, for example. And then the church is like, what? What was that? You can tell those pulpits because they're steered by their needs. Our only need is to keep not knowing what we're doing and be blown away by God who deserves all the credit. And I think that's why he likes it here. Because he's like, look at this fool on stage. Like, I could do anything and they'd know it's me. It's so, it is so true. Even my own kids, I told them recently when we went to Disneyland, hey, you need to know, it's amazing how we got here. We got this given and, and we got blessed with this and this was helped. And they're like, man, dad, like anybody will help you. And I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm a case. I'm a problem. <laughs> like, I, I just, I'm just not that smart. And I think God's like, it's people like you, Danny, that we're going to build this church on. 
And I think it's true. And I think it's valuable. I think, though, the one thing that I am is biblical. And I evaluate the miracles I see, and I have nothing to lose to stand up to anybody of any church size and go, yeah, I'm just not going to buy that. That's not coming back to our church. Oh, no, no, it'll be great. I don't care if it's great. It'll double your church. Don't care. I don't care. I want only to sit at the end of my life and know that I accomplished exactly what I was supposed to, which was primarily just working really hard to get out of the way of God and what he wants to do. I think that's almost everybody's job. Just get out of the way. If you could just get out of the way in your marriage, your marriage would be so much better. I know. My wife got out of the way last year, and our marriage is so <laughs> much better. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the reality is that if you can just let God lead your home, if you can let God lead your finances, if you can be like God... I just, I, I take my life so seriously and yet not serious at all. I want to live every moment for him. I want to evaluate the miracles I see. I want to expect them, but I don't need them. There's a second theme that uh, I want to close with. And this one is a little harder to see, but I think just as important, if not more. It appears that the second theme in verses like this is that God wants us to view these miracles as spiritual lessons of the power of the gospel to transform sinners. So often we just blow through the Bible and we don't slow down to really look at what's being said and why it's being said. And one thing you need to see first off is that when this verse first describes Dorcas or Tabitha, she is called a disciple. You need to know this. This is the only time this word occurs in the feminine form in the entire Greek New Testament. Now, when you read that, you've got to stop and say, well, why? Why is it important for the reader to know that, that Dorcas, who was dead and now is alive, was a believer? Why is that important? There's lots of women in the Bible we know are believers based on their life. But this one actually says, this is Dorcas, a disciple, a believer. Then the very next verse that explains um, Aeneas explains why it's important to know that Dorcas was a disciple, a believer. And it's because most likely Aeneas was not. When it describes Aeneas, the only fact it says is that he was a certain man. The writer clearly would have said he was a believer or he was also a disciple like Dorcas, but it doesn't. And it does this for a very specific reason. As you look at miracles and how they approach people's lives, what we're given is a beautiful picture of a believer who was born again, who once was dead and now is alive, right? That's Dorcas. Once was dead, the Bible says, when you accept Christ and you believe in him, you were dead and now you're alive. Do I have a verse for that? I think I do. Yes, I do. Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. The Bible says when you accept Christ, you die to your old life and you were born again. This is the basis for baptism. You go under the water of the old, you die to the old self, you come up the new for the symbol of baptism. Now, Aeneas is not a believer. And Aeneas lives like a lot of people who are sojourning here with us today at Kesed. He lives as someone with eyes to see and legs to walk that don't work. He's a man who struggled to find his purpose and find his way. He's a man who's tried everything in the world probably to make himself better and nothing has fixed him except for the word of God through Peter. 
And so what you have is this beautiful picture of what it is to be a Christian. That is to die daily, right? And to carry your cross daily and to be a new creation daily. And you have what it is to be preached to today as a non-believer. Because the stuff you've tried, your business, your marriages, right? Your stories, all the things you've built around you, all that stuff is all like having paralyzed legs. It looks okay from a distance sitting in a chair, but when you actually stand up and try to accomplish these things in your life that God has called you to do, you just fall to the ground. This picture is a living physical picture of the miraculous work of the gospel. I asked you at the beginning of the message, very beginning, What's the greatest miracle that's ever happened in your life? And you immediately want to go to kids and cliches and marriages. And I get all that, and I think it's important. Then I ask, what's the other greatest miracle? I gave you two shots to get this right. And you started telling wreck stories, stories where you almost died. Do you know what the greatest single miracle is of all of our lives? Is that Jesus Christ was willing to love wretches like us. This is the greatest miracle of our lives. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. Do you know why miracles aren't happening at every 7-Eleven and Dairy Queen in town? Because the greatest miracle of your life is, and the purpose of it is to bring people to Jesus. And what has Jesus asked us to do? To go out into the world, tell our stories, and bring people to Jesus. And you don't need to raise someone from the dead to do that. So the miracles that usher in the end times or the miracles that ushered in the, the age of the church, all those things are, are hit and miss now because the greatest miracle is the love of God poured out over his people. And the purpose of all these miracles is to bring glory to God for who he is without any distraction. And so the greatest miracle in your life is still alive and well today. And that is your story being used effectively to bring people to Jesus, just like Peter, just like Elijah, just like Jesus. So you want to know why no one's healed every single Sunday here? Because the reality is God's, I think, still waiting for us to tell our stories and bring healing to hearts before he brings healing to legs. I think that's what's important to him during this age. I think that's why our church is developing. I think that's why you people who fit in nowhere else, and you've told me this over and over and over again. I don't know if you think it encourages me. It doesn't. I've been to so many churches and none of them like what I like, but I love being here. And I'm like, oh, like you're a misfit. This is like the church of the lost boys. Like it just, it's crazy. Yet, you know what I realize? I, I hear you. And this is why God is using a bunch of ragamuffins like us to do stuff that people on a national level are trying to figure out. This is our place. This is our time. This is our season. These next few years will be remarkable because we're not going to play games. We're not going to lead into pure charismatics. Although if the Holy Spirit knocks us all over, you trust me, I'm not going to fight that. And if he wants me to heal somebody, I'm in. But if all he wants me to do is preach the word and love people till they undeniably, can, can, they can't with any uh, clarity or logic of mind figure out why, then that'll be the greatest miracle of my life and yours. All from verses we didn't even want to preach. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? All from supposedly churches no one else wanted. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. I don't understand it. God just is opening so much, and I think we need to continue to just give him that glory give him that honor, give him that credit, get out of the way and be okay that God is using us just how he wants in a quiet way, in a quiet city to people that maybe no one else can reach.
this is, this is what we do. This is who we are. Amen? Amen. I, took, uh, I took all the worship team's time, which means uh, I'm going to just stand us for closing prayer today. So will you stand with me? Because I want to honor... Uh, I want to honor your guys' time, and I'm, I'm just so blessed to be a part of this. I'm blessed, to, uh, I'm blessed to discover together what this looks like and where it is that God wants us to lead, and I'm so happy that we found each other. I'm so happy that we can ask these questions. We can unpack this stuff. We can wrestle together. Uh, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm willing to engage, and, uh, and I know so are you, so thank you. Thank you to all of you who are enrooted right now. I know that's hard. Thank you for those of you in the EHS, Emotional Healthy Classes. Uh, if you're looking for further steps with this kind of stuff, those are the things to sign up for that come next, uh, next time they come around. At a, I hope you have an incredible week and that God blesses you. I hope he tears you up. I hope he heals you up. I hope he holds you up. I hope that uh, you just can't get away from the stuff he's awakening you to. I hope it scares some of you. You need that. I hope it frustrates some of you. You need that. I hope some of you are so overwhelmed with joy, you're on the verge of charisma. Some of you need that a lot. <laughs> and I hope, uh, I don't know, I just, I just, I'm so excited to just kind of throw the rules out the window and see what God wants to do when he's in charge. So let's just, let's just pray that prayer to him. Lord, thank you today. Thanks for taking over. Thanks for being so faithful. Thank you for this church and the people who question, the people who ponder. Thank you that we are a remnant, God, that is uh, just filled with excitement for the land that you are giving us daily. May we never get caught up in our own accomplishments. May we never, Lord, uh, get confused as to why anything's happening. Please, God, allow us to continue to experience the miracle of salvation in our lives. Allow us to experience, Lord, whatever it is you want to show us. Allow us to be open to any movements of your spirit that you want to bring forth to us. And allow us to be okay, God, to experience just the simplicity of the assurance of our faith. Thank you for this room. Thank you for these people, for this family that you're building. We lift it all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for coming. God bless.